Tassapagavato Arahato Sama Sambudas Namo Tassapagavato Arahato Sambudasa Namo Tassapagavato Arahato Sambudasa Dama friends, this evening I'm going to talk about arousing and uh, balancing the five controlling faculties. That's faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. It's more of a continuation of my talk last time that I could not finish. So. The other time we're sharpening the, the spiritual faculties or controlling faculties. Now we are going to see how we can arouse them and also balance them if we have time. Now, you've listened to all these Dharma talks. It's amazing the capacity you have, actually. <laughs> I'm really impressed, actually, to tell you the truth. I mean, each teacher comes and gives something, and it's like a buffet. These Dhamma <laughs> talks are like a buffet, actually. <laughs> so, people who go to a buffet, sometimes they don't eat meat, vegetarian, and vegetarians, gluten, all many things. So, you don't have to take everything. And most of you, you remember when you're still uh, offering me food? Did those who offered me food, can you remember? I didn't take everything. <laughs> I just took what was enough for me. <laughs> so when we give these Dharma talks, you have options. Hmm? You can take everything, or just pick and choose, or don't take at all. In, this case, in that case, give them to me. <laughs> I love Dharma. <laughs> you can always give them back. <laughs> I will take it to Uganda, <laughs> my temple. Here's another buffet I'm going to offer to you. It's up to you what you're going to eat. The five spiritual faculties are very, very important for your practice. In fact, at the very beginning of the discourse on the foundation of the man mindfulness, the Buddha talks about how you practice mindfulness of the body, feelings, mind states, and uh, dhammas, which is mental objects. You become mindful, and also you apply energy, and also um, clear comprehension. Already those are three uh, fa fa factors that are very, very important when you practice mindfulness. What's not mentioned there is faith. But it's understood that when you practice mindfulness, you have some faith uh, to observe the breath. You have faith that the body is, the breath is there and the mind is observing. And concentration is not mentioned uh, at the outset, but of course it's included when you look at the discourse. At the end of the discourse, the Buddha talks about the Noble Eightfold Path. So concentration is there. So when you practice mindfulness, the five spiritual faculties have to be practiced. So this is not another talk. <laughs> it's actually a talk within how to practice mindfulness. This is very important so that you, you are not overwhelmed with the information that we, we give that, oh, this is another talk. This is something different from mindfulness. You know, It's really within mindfulness how to uh, arouse mindfulness and how to sharpen it, how to balance. Last time I told you how to sharpen it. This time is how to balance these spiritual faculties. So there is a list. Uh, they say that uh, if Theravada uh, uh, Buddhism or Buddhism in general has no God, at least it has lists. <laughs> And I love lists. 
you must have mentioned, you must have had all my talks are about list. Other teachers, sometimes maybe they just talk one thing, but for me, list and list. So, there's a list here. <laughs> there are 27 aids of awakening or wings of awakening. 37 wings of awakening. And these controlling faculties or speech of faculties, Indriya, uh, keep on repeating themselves in that list. So there's a list of the five spiritual faculties and also a list of the five spiritual powers. So one is powers, there are five, that's a one list, it has five items, it's called faculties. And then another list is called power. So what's the difference? It's the same word, you're using faith, faith, energy, energy. Here's a commentary helping us to distinguish between the two lists. So they appear five, like Indriyas. So Indriyas, according to ancient commentaries, it's, uh, it's in, a, in the sense of overlordship, understood as overcoming as a result of overcoming distrust, laziness, uh, that's uh, also heedlessness, and um, distraction, and also uh, this confusion. So the opposite, in other words, the opposite of faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Those are the opposites. You know? And then for the spiritual power, the Pali word is called Bala. So uh, it's actually in the sense of unshakability as a result of not being overcome by distrust, uh, laziness, heedlessness, or forgetfulness, distraction, distractions, and also co confusion. So this is a difference that we find, actually. For me, it was baffling the first time I saw this list. It doesn't make uh, sense for me that they are different, but actually the commentary found out actually there's a difference between faculties and uh, the powers. So in a way, this is what we call aids to awakening. They aid us to awake when we practice them. So in that sense, actually, spiritual powers are, seem to be stronger than spiritual faculties. That's enough information, I think, for now. So uh, one thing I like about staying in um, the United States, and more also Europe, actually. I've been in Europe, I think, uh, for one month or... Yeah, I think four months actually, altogether, around four months or five. But I stayed more of my time in Africa and in Asia, 10 years. I've stayed in Asia for 10 years. And the United States, I've stayed here for over 10 years. So I have some idea of these cultures. What is impressive is Europe, Australia, uh, and the uh, United States in the regards of health. The people I've met, at least in these places, they are very conscious about their health, at least physical health. And such information is very helpful for my talk <laughs> because I got also very interested. <laughs> in these countries, uh, most people, whatever they eat, they know the content, and they have these supplements. They have vitamins, they have vitamin C, B, A, and also the food when they go to buy this, their food, they're really, really dis like discerning, should I eat more vegetables, should I eat more of this, more of this. In some places I've been, like in South America, in Geno, no, maybe I think in Bolivia, and also in Africa, and uh, most also many countries in Asia. At least the people I've met, they are not so much concerned about um, vitamins. <laughs> they just eat the local food. And also, specifically in Africa and Uganda, maybe South Africa, not uh, excluded, and maybe other countries that I haven't been to, but Uganda, the Sub-Sahara, uh, people just eat their local food. They're not concerned about cross-trade. Actually, average Ugandan doesn't know probably 
what's Crostro is. <laughs> yes, so, and supplement, when I took my supplements there, they said, why are you taking supplements? You see, also having, uh, having, uh, having stayed in America for a while, so I learned how to take supplements. <laughs> so now, as a monk, I have a, a department that I've developed. Are you interested to know what Bante does in his free time? <laughs> I have what you call research and development department. <laughs> Now, that's what this, this is the outcome of my department <laughs> regarding your practice of meditation and five spiritual faculties. I found out that uh, in the supplements we have usually in the West here, they have some kind of uh, nutrition supplement facts. Huh? There are facts about the supplements. And recently I got uh, zinc. Lorenzes, Lorenzes, whatever you, the pronunciation, and it has vitamin. It's with vitamin C and it's gluten-free, and also it supports immune health. I mean, I didn't want all that actually. I just had a, a throat actually, a, a kind of a b bad throat after giving a talk recently in Cambridge, and but then uh, somebody offered it to me. But it was very interesting. According to my research and development, I found out very interesting things here. So here we go. It says serving size is one tablet. And then amount per serving and daily percentage, daily value percentage-wise, calories, 5%. Carbohydrates, 1%. Zinc, 23%. Vitamins, 100 milligram. And then they say percentage daily value are based on 2,000 calorie, calorie diety. And then it's cholesterol, zero, no wheat, yeast, soy, salt, sugar, all natural products. Actually, some of them I read that uh, uh, they say that, that this is the above statement is not, has not been evaluated by <laughs> FDA. I don't know what it is. I mean, for me, it's amazing, actually how people make all these things. So what I decided is to help all the meditators here to find out what are the, the nutrition facts of your meditation. Are you ready? Okay. The equivalent of serving size one tablet is each step, each breath at a time. Don't overdose yourself. <laughs> and Joseph has put a sign there, each step. So this first five, the five spiritual faculties, in my free time, I try to make a percentage, actually, so that you are, there's some relaxation in the way how you're going to practice the rest of your time here, so that you, are, you don't feel very bad about your practice. That's my intention, all right? So let us start the, uh, the per, uh, amount per serving. This is on a, based on daily value percentage-wise. Every day. Faith. I was so surprised that faith actually carries two, appears twice in the 37 wings of awakening. So two out of 37, I, it, it works out like 5.4 percentage. <laughs> that means two times. So please don't give up faith. Be because people come, oh, I can't, I can't concentrate, I can't concentrate. I say, nobody come to me, I, I don't have faith. Faith also is a helpful and awakening and peaceful and joy and all these beautiful mind states. Next to that, energy. Oh, big time. This appears nine times. <laughs> so nine out of 37, that works about 24%, 24.3. So it appears nine times. More than mindfulness, more than concentration, more than wisdom, even more than faith. So energy is very important. But it has to be skillful energy, right energy. Not too much, not too little. It has to be just the right energy. Mindfulness appears eight times. and So eight out of 37, that works out 
21.6. That's that's okay. Compared. <laughs> Energy, 24%. That's the highest. Nine times. Wow. So if you give up on energy, <laughs> please, maybe you, may you better think about it now. <laughs> so next time if you, you're complaining, oh, I can't gain concentration, I cannot gain concentration, maybe you might think about, oh, I don't have energy. So try to arouse energy and try to balance energy. And lastly, uh, wisdom is actually appearing five times. So five out of 37, that's... Uh, 13.5. So it appears five times and the percentage is 13.5. Concentration is 10.8. So this percentage daily value are based on 37 wings of awakening. Instead of zero colostros, here is zero hindrances. <laughs> no hindrances if you want to attain it. If you want to attain awakening. If you have ever failed to gain concentration, it's because of five hindrances. Not because of your cushion. <laughs> not because of other fellow yogis. Okay. Of course, according to my department, the above statement has not been... <laughs> Evaluated by the National Institute of Health. <laughs> My colleague here, Bonnie, will be very happy to know that. <laughs> so it hasn't been evaluated by National Institute of Health. He's just coming there for a conference. There's more to go. I think I better stop here. Let us get serious now. <laughs> the five spiritual faculties... are so important that I think you might want to make sure that each day you arouse them, each day, starting with faith. The function of faith is resolution. So you have to arouse faith by reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha. Of course, faith starts with the ordinary faith. Actually, you come here, you're excited. I'm going for a three-month retreat. I'm going to attain peace, jhanas, awakening. So this is wonderful, really, to have that faith. Actually, that's what keeps us going. But that's not enough. We have also to go for developed faith. As we practice, we develop faith and we get that experience in fact it's called internal confidence with faith we don't mean blind faith actually here we mean faith and confidence probably word is sad but actually it doesn't uh, english word doesn't do justice to this pali word but let us just get contented with that faith and confidence let us use it in a complex as a complex word Last time I talked about reflecting on the qualities of the, the Dhamma. So all any quality of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha can arouse actually this kind of faith. Because when we have faith, then we can apply energy. Without faith, it's very difficult to arouse energy. It's actually the cause and condition for the arising of energy. I remember one time I, I went to Vietnam for a conference and we, uh, after that we went to climb a mountain and there was one professor from Japan. He looked at the mountain on the top and said, I'm not going to climb the mountain. So what I did is to look at my foot. Right? <laughs> where my foot was, that's where I looked. Of course, I also glanced at the mountain. I said, I'm just going to take it one step at a time. I needed it because that time I was from Vietnam, I had to fly back to USA, and it's a long flight. So because I knew it's a long flight, so I made sure that I have to climb the mountain. And because of that faith, actually, I managed to climb the mountain. So with faith, there's no mountain which is too high.
to climb. Check your faith if there's a low energy, what I call flat tire syndrome. If there's no energy, <laughs> flat tire, arouse faith and you're going to have energy. This professor left, never climbed the mountain because he didn't have faith in his capacity, his ability. The way how I was trained by various teachers, Bantagunaratana in West Virginia, uh, Sayadaw Pandita, both in USA and uh, Burma, Sayadaw Silananda, the teacher who ordained me, Chame Siado, and all other teachers, even the tradition itself, it's amazing how they start their meditation. They start with actually arousing faith. For instance, Sado Pandita, the way he taught us at Forest Refuge, you take two minutes, that's how precise he is, two minutes and reflect on the qualities of either the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. You pick what you want. And then metta, loving kindness. Two minutes, and then you start your meditation. Sado Usilananda, second senior to, band, uh, to the Sado Pandita, Forgiveness practice, that was his starting meditation and metta. Bhante Gunaratana, first metta, then the breath. The tradition has it already, that there's four protective meditation, starting with the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, then metta, then actually reflection of, on, on death that arouses spiritual agencies, some vega in Pali. Vega means speed and some amplification. So you... Amplify your speed to awakening. So this kind of contemplation in the West is, in the West is not very common, actually. Uh, reflection on death. Right? Life is uncertain. Death, death is certain. Actually, death is the, the only thing that is certain. But most of us, we do the other way around. We think that death is uncertain and life is certain. Even when all people are dying, for us, we are not dying. Well, that's a delusion. So we've tried to practice like this. Actually, it arouses faith in the practice and it arouses energy. Of course, also reflection on body parts that helps us to overcome attachment to the body of ours and others. So energy. Energy has a function of exertion. We exert energy. And if we want to arouse energy, we need to have what we call wise attention to three kinds of energy three kinds of energy given in the Anguttara Nikaya in the scriptures is initial energy especially starting with maybe noting mindfully noting mentally noting so you start that's the initiation of energy and then you need to sustain that energy so not only just not and just live you just have to be continuous, you know, sustain energy. You need to sustain your energy. And then wise attention to also another kind of energy, which is called non-stop energy. These three kinds of energy are very, very important for your meditation. And I think most of you remember how you learn how to ride a bicycle. How was it for you? <laughs> Maybe here in the USA is very easy. You have three, uh, you have training wheels. Uh, but in Africa, oh, it's so difficult. We have to learn how to ride a bicycle, not on a small bicycle, big one, adult one. <laughs> I'm telling you, those three energies are very important. Because initially, you start riding this bicycle and you fall off. And you think that you'll never go back to ride a bicycle. Because you really, I mean, you, you, you really feel very bad about it. First, you're embarrassed. <laughs> Another thing, actually, some kind of injury. But because bicycles, uh, it's the major uh, transportation, 
if you don't ride a bicycle, you're <laughs> you have troubles. <laughs> it's like here in the United States, if you don't have a car, <laughs> you must have a car actually to get around. But in Africa, especially in Uganda, you must have a bicycle. So you have to keep on trying. Even when it's so hard, because it's so heavy actually for us when we are still little kids, you know, you have to keep on trying. Keep trying, keep trying. And the more you try, the better it gets. And then that sustained the effort. And then you learn how to balance. And then you are no longer falling. You are no longer, you are no longer falling from the bicycle. But sometimes also you can fall. <laughs> yes. You have to always to learn now the skill of balancing. And then you learn the skill and you remove your hands like this and you start riding a bicycle without even putting your hands on. But what's very interesting, with all that kind of uh, learning about how to balance, there are subtle balances going on there. Very subtle balance. It doesn't mean that you give up balancing. Even when you have learned how to ride a bicycle, there are subtle balances. Not so much like effortful, but actually very subtle. So there's also the practice like that. Once you keep an, at it at, keep again and again, you learn that balance. And later on, you don't need that much energy. But you need to continue. There's some energy going on there. Non-stop energy. Don't stop halfway. Friends, my experience here, when, before I came here, I never seen a microwave. I studied, I studied in India for many years, and then I went back to Africa. At home, we didn't have a microwave. So to, to prepare a cup of tea, you, especially when I visit my grandmother, you have to go uh, like one kilometer and downhill and get water. Bring the water, then collect firewood. You have to get firewood. And then you start it. Usually you get a fire from your neighbor, you know. So there's a way how we keep the fire. Sometimes there's a matchbox, sometimes there's no matchbox. So then uh, you get the fire, you start the fire. Then it takes almost 30 minutes to have a cup of tea. Back then, when I was still young, <laughs> now things have changed. When I came to the United States, I saw a microwave that I... You, I mean, you can prepare a cup of tea within two minutes. Wow, even less, one minute. So now I reflected, wow, this is wonderful. I wish I had this when I was still young. I, I mean, I spent a lot of energy going to uh, prepare a cup of tea or coffee. Well, this is very good for a cup of tea or coffee. Uh, you get it real quick. But there's a tennis. A very big tendency I see here. People to think that they can microwave their practice. <laughs> big disappointment. Good luck. There's no microwave. At least I've seen. <laughs> For me, in my practice, my friends, I struggled a lot with my practice. Not much, much of, the biggest struggle I had is not even prior within the practice itself, but which practice can I do that is going to make sense to me? I was born a Roman Catholic, went to India, became a Baha'i, uh, initiated in Hinduism, Sai Baba. Then I started getting confused, got into the Sufism. Then I went to Tibet after seeing the da his, his Holiness the Dalai Lama. Then I heard about Mahayana as a big vehicle, and there's a Hinayana. I said, which vehicle should I take? This is too small for, <laughs> I just need a big one. I spent time in Tibet for one month and a half. I mean, I took time to figure out actually which path makes sense to me. For me, it, it has, it, uh, this pathway was not easy for me at all because I didn't have a guide in the very beginning until I figured it out. <laughs> I figured out that, okay, insight meditation is a great path for me. And ever since then, I'm all set. I'm all set. <laughs> now, of course, also really the, uh, coming to the practice of Vipassana when I came 
for a longer retreat, I had to figure out how to deal with the pain. It wasn't easy. Physical pain for me, actually. Because uh, I'm not used to sit. Uh, the way I, how I was brought up, I was not used to sit in that posture. <laughs> so it was very difficult for me. So a lot of physical pain. So there's nothing really easy, actually. Full lotus? Wow. It took me almost two months to sit in full lotus. Every day I would say I'm going to use two minutes and sit in full lotus. And then a week I'll increase, increase, increase until 45 minutes, until one hour full lotus. Because I was meditating at Bhavan and Bante Gunaratana, those who have seen Bante Gunaratana, like this. Legs like this and he goes like this, he doesn't go anywhere, he's so stable. I said, when am I going to sit like my teacher? And it was very painful. I, I could not sit even in the full lotus. I made a determination that I'm going to do it. If he did it, I, I can't do it. And it was so painful. But one time he was giving a talk. He told me how he himself, he started in sitting in full lotus when he was 55 years or something like that. I was then when he was 12 years. I said, also oh, he had to work on it? <laughs> I said, no, I can do it. If my teacher <laughs> got to see, I mean, figured it out after 55 years, I can figure it out. So actually effort, I mean, you, you have to work on it. If you see, Ban the way you see Bante Gunaratana, when he sits, and anybody who sits in full lotus, you think that they, of course, other, other people is very natural. But some of us, we have to really find out how we can do it. Yoga and all these things. So effort is very, very important. And determination is very important constantly. For me, it didn't come naturally as how our college here is sitting. I don't know whether it's natural or not. <laughs> Did you have to work on it? Sorry. <laughs> okay. I just want to have a living example of energy. We have to work on something. <laughs> I didn't put you on the spot, Brian. <laughs> okay, number three, mindfulness. For mindfulness, we have to establish it. Establishment of mindfulness is very important. We have to arouse it. The way how to arouse mindfulness, it's mindfulness itself become a cause and condition for arousing mindfulness. One drop, one step, one breath mindfulness, then that will be a cause and condition for another mindfulness to arise. It won't come out of the blue. You have to work on it. Another way, inclining your mind towards mindfulness. So you have to make many, many signs. I give you a bumper sticker. You know also I love bumper sticker. That's part of my research and development <laughs> mindfulness a day keeps dukkha away <laughs> that's the bumper sticker now you want to put on <laughs> it will help your fellow drivers actually <laughs> so your car will be safe <laughs> so actually what we are doing we are driving our mind actually what we are doing we are driving our mind in fact, the Buddha compared to this Dharma as medicine, and, but also there's many aspects of the Dharma. The Buddha talks about a chariot, we are a, chari a charioteer, you know. So very interesting analogies the Buddha gave. That's another way of arousing mindfulness. Reminders, you keep put a lot of reminders. You can put one here, one here. Everywhere you put some reminders to be mindful because mindfulness is not brain surgery. No. What's really difficult is to remember to be mindful. But mindfulness, mindfulness itself is not difficult. When I was teaching in Mississippi, one person told me, you know, Bante last year, you told that to put signs. But I'm still forgetful. I'm not mindful. I told her, put another sign. Remember to be mindful. <laughs> so <laughs> then... <laughs> She said that she's gonna do. That. She's gonna put more signs everywhere. Remember to read your mind, your sign. Remember to read your sign. 
So it's very, very important, actually. Have reminders. Another way of actually arousing mindfulness is a strong, strong perception. That's why like, mental noting is very important because it helps, us to have, it helps us to have strong perception. Pain, aversion, anger. Whatever we have, so we really penetrate. We have a perception. So then, oh, mindfulness is going to arise. It's, gonna, it's going to arise because we perceive something. But if we don't do that, then uh, we have kind of low-grade awareness. So we, we are not there. So if you want to stay connected, you can use mental notes. Mental noting is very helpful. Not all the time, but areas where you feel that you are not connected, allowing 98% to be your direct experience and 2% at least a mental note. Another way of arousing, uh, arousing mindfulness is called the Foclear Comprehension, comprehension of the purpose, stability, domain, and non-delusion. I think last time I mentioned this. I don't have to mention it now. Purpose, why you practice mindfulness. If you know the purpose, of course, you are going to remember to be mindful. The purpose is to awake fully and remember that the things like happiness, removal of stress are just, just bonus, fringe benefits of practicing mindfulness. Really, we have to, I told you last time to shoot high. <laughs> so you have to shoot high there. Then maybe if you get happiness and gladness, it's okay. But at least you have the highest objective uh, to awake. Concentration, that's the fourth speech of faculty. Samadhi. It's a fact of the mind that lands on the object of observation and it stays there. It stays there. According to Sado Pandita's book, he says that it has a future of non-dispassion, uh, I mean non-dispassed and also non-scatteredness. This actually reminds me of an experiment I did when I was taking physics in Uganda. We used to have two lenses. One was convex, another one was concave. You remember this? I don't know. I never studied here. So we put the one time for me. This was fascinating. My teacher say, said, like, put a paper like this. So we put a paper like this. So he brought a, a concave lens and put it in the sun like this. In Uganda, we have tons of sun, a lot of sun. So you put there like this, and then there was no effect. And then he brought a convex lens and then put like this. So the arrows like this went to the paper like this and focused on the paper and it got burnt. I freaked out. Really. <laughs> For me, I didn't know what. I was so surprised that the sun rays could burn the paper. So you need that kind of mind state, of course, when you have continuous mindfulness. When it's continuous, it kind of correct, collect the wholesome states of mind and they're together like this. And when the, those mind states, wholesome states of mind are together with the continuity of mindfulness, they focus on a hindrance, let's say anger, whatever, and then they burn it. That's what concentration does. But it has to be aroused. It has to be aroused. And the word jhanas, actually, the word jhana, which is a meditative absorption, literally it means to burn. So it burns, it burns the, uh, the hindrances, desire and all that. It will be burnt. So how to arouse concentration? It's steady attention. Steady attention will cause concentration. So one moment of concentration leads to another moment of concentration. It's not going to come out from nothing, so we need continuity of mindfulness. Friends, if you wish to get concentration, gain concentration, you have to keep one mind moment, mindfulness moment, one after the other. So that's how they're going to be strong. Of course, that's what we call kanika samadhi, which means moment-to-moment -moment concentration. 
it has of course a nature of rising and passing away so one moment after the other of mindfulness and moment to moment concentration they all build up and when they build up they all come strong like that an example i can give you is this i'm putting on cotton here you know one thread like this is so weak very weak actually one thread i mean if i get one like this i can just pierce it and it breaks but i'm telling you because it's one thread after the one another one thread after the other. They are so much connected that even when I do like this, I cannot go cause a hole in this shirt. Why? It's because one weak thread is after the other. So even these small, small doses of mindfulness, when it comes one after the other, you gain concentration. So if you are feeling that you are lacking concentration, maybe you want to Really slow down. I, you try it for three days. Three days. Try to slow down and you become mindful every moment, every moment. On the third day, you'll be surprised. Write me a note if you can. You'll be surprised, actually. I've done it, actually. You'll be surprised how, actually, uh, how concentration is aroused. There's more of it, <laughs> inclining your mind. This, uh, your mind, according, I mean, towards concentration. This uh, commentary gives this kind of uh, tips how to really always inclining your mind towards concentration, not being scattered. And it's very easy to get scattered, actually. You know, when you see fellow yogi walking, and uh, and then you look here and there. So it's very easy to get scattered. We go to wisdom. There's another faculty called wisdom one of the faculty, wisdom. So its function is to see, seeing. So the Pali word is called Panya. Panya, Padaya means in details, knowledge, or knowing. So knowing in details, knowing deeply. So there's another word which is similar, which is called Sanya, to recognize. And there's vinyana to know. I would like to distinguish, distinguish, distinguish these things because in English we don't know what's the difference between knowing and uh, what's the difference between understanding and all these things. So the, the Visuddhimagga, which is uh, written by Buddha Gosa, Venerable Buddha Gosa, gave a very, gave a very good uh, uh, distinction between the three, actually. So that you can distinguish at least wisdom from other kind of knowing, like vinyana. So he talked about uh, a coin. When a coin is on a road there and then the kid sees the coin, they put it in the mouth. <laughs> they think it's chocolate maybe, candy. <laughs> so they will eat it. That kind of knowing of the kid that this, uh, and this is something round I put in the mouth so just they just perceive it that's called sanya that's how you can distinguish it from other kind of knowing now he continued doing uh, giving a, another example of a merchant a merchant when they see the coin Deutsche Mark <laughs> Deutschmark or dollar or whatever it is. <laughs> they think that we can make business, you know. The, the, the merchants, when they see the coin, oh, we can make business and prosper. They know the value of the coin that it can buy something. So the children don't know, they just eat it. <laughs> so that's called vinyana. It's also another form of knowing. But panya that I'm talking about now in wisdom is different. It means to see things in details. So now, according to Buddha Gosa, he talked about a mint, somebody who manufactures coins. You know when somebody who manufactures coins, look at the coin? They don't eat it. They don't talk about business. They just say, oh, this coin is made of silver. 2% silver. 
30% this and that. So they can see details of the coin. So now you see wisdom. You shouldn't confuse wisdom with other kind of knowing, like even Sampajanya, which means clear comprehension. There's even other knowing, which is called Parinya, which is full understanding. There's even Abinya. So all these things have Nya, 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 Nya. But actually, the thing that in Pali, the, when you learn Pali, it really goes straight to the meaning. English, you can get confused, but really, it's really amazing. Panya, Sanya, Vinyana, Parinya, Abinya, Sampajanya. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm selling you Pali language, <laughs> Pali 101. <laughs> I mean, basic things you should learn, actually, because the, the Pali word goes straight to the meaning of the word. Now, how to arouse, of course, uh, this wisdom is to start to see anicca, dukkha, anatta. That means impermanence, uh, unsatisfactoriness, and selfless nature. Seeing the Four Noble Truths, suffering, its cause, happiness, and the way to happiness, uh, the way to awakening. So when you do that, wisdom is going to arise. Seeing, uh, understanding the law of karma, that will bring a lot of wisdom. Understanding dependent origination, that's another way of arousing wisdom. So the dependent origination I'd like to offer you here, it's not the tradition one, but uh, this is how Sado Pandita taught us actually dependent origination, is to really see it working in your practice, functioning in your practice. He talks about how you see the body affecting the body. For instance, when you press your foot like this, you feel some sensation of hotness. That's the body affecting the body. Then you gain wisdom. So then he, he talks about the permutation of the body affecting the mind. So this is very clear when we have a, a, an itch. Huh? That's a bodily sensation. And then the desired scratch arises. Until it becomes life-threatening. <laughs> we scratch so you can see clear dependent origination there, body affecting the mind, right there. I mean, I know the tradition, dependent origination. I mean, it's a very difficult link, but here the link is very clear between an itch and a desire to scratch. When you do that, wisdom can arise. How the, the, the intention to scratch arises and how you want to scratch it. And then you remember, oh, mindfulness. And sometimes you can go back like this. I mean, and each can really be good ground for learning, learning about the function of our mind. Such a small thing like that. You know? Small things matter a lot. One time the Dalai Lama said that if you think that small things don't matter, you sleep in your bed with a mosquito. You know that small things matter a lot. One mosquito, the whole night buzzing around. I'm not a fan of mosquitoes, actually. Yeah, so I got a lot of malaria in the past. So whenever I hear a mosquito coming, I know, <laughs> unless you have never got malaria, but if you have got malaria and how it feels, malaria, you know, so... Terrible, but they will remind you always. There's another link here also. Mind, actually, mind, this link is about mind affecting the body. So that is very clear also, like intention to move. That's, that intention comes from the mind. And then the body, it moves. So that's also another link of dependent origination. Not in a traditional way, but actually really seeing things at work in a very deep way. Because we can see intention, intention, intention arising, intention arising in our mind, and then also the movement, so that we can actually connect what we call cause and effect. Now the body, the mind affecting the body. There's also another link there, mind affecting the mind. I think that's very common. Most of us, I think, are going through this, at least from my interaction. 
we are dissatisfied with our practice. We've been here for three months. We start evaluating our practice. No, I don't have enough mindfulness. I don't have enough concentration. I don't have enough this, enough this. Have I gained anything for all these three months? Then there's dissatisfaction arising in our mind. And when we have that, the mind affecting the mind, then there's aversion. Then we don't want even to practice. When we feel bored. There was a talk yesterday about boredom. So these links are very, very important. Body affecting the body, body affecting the mind, mind affecting the body, mind affecting the mind. That's for me a wonderful practice Sad Upandita gave. Because it kept me from the intellectual part of the other dependent origination. Dividing in three lives. No, we are in this life. <laughs> so it's very difficult to understand. But this brings the whole thing to practice and how wisdom can arise. Please, I invite you to see this in your practice. How these things are arising. Balancing. Let's go to balancing. Maybe this should be another talk. I don't know. Enough? What do you think? Enough? Enough. Huh? Maybe next time. <laughs> I hope I don't overdose you, actually. <laughs> According to my research, research and development department, <laughs> it should not be overdosed. It should be just r- r- the right dose. I don't worry about it. We have 80 minutes. Okay, okay balancing the speech of her. <laughs> It's not overdose. <laughs> Faith should be balanced with wisdom. Faith and wisdom should be balanced. Because if you have a lot of faith and no wisdom, then you accept everything on a, bif- a buffet. Eh? Because the buffet has been prepared by this person, Bante. Because <laughs> you don't have a direct experience, but actually you're just accepting everything. So that's very, very important. Wisdom, when it's in excess, then actually you start to intellectualize things, you know. You are, you are cunning, you reason things out, which are... Maybe you want even to think that the Buddha didn't figure out this thing. You you become smarter than the Buddha. (laughs) So you don't have faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. You just get some information and you say, no, the Buddha didn't didn't study science. But for us, we are scientists. We know about this. We know about this. Then you become very cunning. So in order to balance this, usually it comes from the beginning of the practice, not usually at the end, at, at, in the middle of this practice, but I, let me mention it. It's very, very important. If that's your problem, faith and wisdom, they're imbalanced. So the first thing is to really check your wisdom by trying um, try to uh, boost faith so that they balance, you know, like... You can reflect on the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And if you're, uh, you're a person who don't have enough wisdom, you try to listen to the Dhamma talks and learn from the Dhamma talks. Then practice what they are talking about. And then see how you can internalize it in your experience so that you are not superficial something that you really want to practice, and then uh, it's from your practical experience. This is very, very important, actually. People have pseudo-wisdom, pseudo-wisdom. They read something, but they don't practice it, and they think they're wiser. But that's not wisdom. Wisdom has to go through the stages of theory, of practice and realization. So it's very, very important actually to practice because that's going to bring doubt if you don't practice faith and um, gain wisdom. It's very, very important. 
Then there's another uh, problem uh, problem that might come when you're practicing for a long time. It's when concentration and energy is not balanced. When concentration and energy is not balanced, it's going to bring a lot of problems in your practice. Let's say when you have excessive energy over concentration, then you are going to have a lot of restlessness. A lot of restlessness. And then you ask, oh, I've been practicing for a long time. Why do I feel restless? But it's because of actually imbalance of the spiritual faculty. So in this case, to boost energy, uh, if energy is less, for instance, so you can use some methods to increase energy and overcome sleepiness. One of them could be practicing standing meditation. I think we have gone through all this walking meditation, increasing the not speed, noting speed, instead of saying sleepiness. When a sleepiness arises and you just say sleepiness, you are going to doze off. So it should be sleepiness, sleepiness, sleepiness. You really get serious about it. Right? So that can help. I've done some research and development again here. I found out in the, in the, in the scriptures there's no running meditation. <laughs> but actually it can do the job actually very well. I don't know why this doesn't appear. In, its, in the entire Tipitaka, they never gave the antidote to lack of energy as running. You run mindfulness. I don't say start running. <laughs> Tomorrow, don't run because I've said this. I'm just saying, according to my research and development, I found out that running can help you. You can use it at some stage, maybe in day life, when at home, but here we try maybe keeping in a container, very more harmony, harmonious. Otherwise, our neighbor will be overwhelmed, single yogis scattered here and over there, <laughs> running into woods and all these things. To be having an impact, the population is going to swell. Bar is such a small place, you know, seeing all yogis all over, you know. <laughs> Neighbors are going to call the police. It's just people disturbing us here. You better walk slow and look down, <laughs> stepping, placing, at least work on that, and it will overcome the sleepiness. More objects to note, this is more of directed awareness as opposed to choiceless awareness. That can help you. Vipassana meditation, of course, can help. Take a nap, that can do the job. If there's a lot of sleepiness, that's a wise surrender. <laughs> Take a nap. When concentration is less and energy is more. You go to the other opposite, which is restlessness. So the key is to reduce energy. That means, of course, the first time, the first approach is to really be mindful of restlessness. And then, in a practice of samatha meditation, concentration meditation, it can help you when you have a lot of restlessness because you want to raise concentration. Lying down meditation is not typically given in the Tipitaka. I mean, um, as a, a posture, it's given, but as an antidote, it's not given. Again, this is my research and development. <laughs> really, actually, Buddha gave actually the four postures of practice. But when you look at the list of how to overcome restlessness, it doesn't come up, actually, for some reasons. So, do lying down meditation. But of course, other teachers have talked about this, like one monk talked about this uh, in Malaysia. So it's a very good way of, do, of practice. Choiceless awareness as opposed to choiceful awareness. So step back and relax and just watch the show. This is connected to where the mind is like a sky and restlessness and worry is like clouds going through the sky. So just sit and just watch. Don't start looking for objects. Just watch, relax, cruise button approach. Just put a cruise button 
and just watch whatever rising without choosing anything. Lastly, you need to reduce the object of noting. While sleepiness, you have to increase the object you are noting, you are observing. Here, you have to reduce objects you are noting. Friends, this is enough for today. I hope you've got the nutrition facts. Let us sit for a moment or two. May all beings practice these five spiritual faculties and powers and attain happiness, peace, and fun awakening. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for your attention. I request you to join my project, research and development, to find out how the Dharma can be applicable to the West. All right? Thank you very much. It's free. You can join me anytime. <laughs> if you come up with something, tell me how it can relate to the West. <laughs> we don't want to use old similes. We want to use the current technology. Remember supplements. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.